This is uh, the book of Habakkuk. Um, as we've seen from reading it, it is a very lofty book, a, a, a weighty book, um, full of many prophecies of, of judgment, things that should cause us to tremble uh, and fear before the Lord. If you remember from last time, uh, we talked about Habakkuk and that he was a prophet in the land of Judah in the time of uh, the same time as Jeremiah. This was a, t- a tumultuous time, a chaotic time. Uh, this was shortly or, or maybe some time after Israel, the nation of Israel in the north, was already punished. They were already destroyed and put into exile by the Assyrians. And then the upcoming judgment of Judah was nigh. It was coming close. And this is the time that God gave his word to Habakkuk. So if we go to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus 18, verse 24. Here we'll see why Israel was judged and cast off, and why Judah was about to be cast off as well. This is at the time when when the nation of Israel was being brought into the land, and God was giving his statutes and giving them these warnings. Leviticus 18, 24. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled. So that the land will not spew you out, should you defile it, as it has spewed out the nation which has been before you. For whoever does any of these abominations, those persons who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus you are to keep my charge that you do not practice any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you, so as not to defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. These abominations he speaks of are the sexual immorality and all of these immoral relations that he discusses in the previous chapter or throughout the rest of the chapter, that all the nations committed during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that deserved the punishment of God. Obviously, the clearest example would be Sodom and Gomorrah that he judged right away. But they waited until Israel came into the nation to cast them out, to spew them out of the land. And he warns them that if they do the same sins that the nations before them committed, the same abominations, he will spew them out as well. He will also kick them out of the land but he gives them their, their remedy. He says, but as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations. If they keep God's judgments and statutes, he would bless them in the land. But if they disobey them and if they commit abominations, he will spew them out. And of course, that is what happened. That is what happened to Israel when he cast them out. And that is what is about to happen to Judah in the time of Habakkuk. And we'll see that as well in Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she has done all these things, then she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that all that for all the adulteries and faith of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce, 
Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. Judah, the southern kingdom, saw all of the harlotries, the idolatry of the northern kingdom, and their punishment. They saw the Assyrian kingdom take them away into exile and destroy Samaria. And yet, she was a treacherous sister. She saw these abominations and then committed the very same sins and even worse sins. They continued in rebellion against God, even though they saw the punishment that they deserved for it. Yet they continued in it. So this is the, <clears throat> the background of Habakkuk, where he gets this word of the Lord, and he gets it in this time when there is sin everywhere in the land. And this is what we see in verses 2 through 4. This is the burden of Habakkuk. If you remember from last time, uh, Cameron spoke about the, the burden, the burden of the word of the Lord. So to remind ourselves what that burden is, let's turn to 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Why the, pro, why the word of the Lord is a burden. And this is a burden on Habakkuk that he gave to us in this book. Second <clears throat> Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. <clears throat> so we have Peter recounting the time when he saw the transfiguration, and God the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And this is exactly what Peter did. He listened to the words of Christ. The words of Christ were a burden on him, and he obeyed them. And he gives us the reason why they're a burden. In verse 21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. No prophecy of Scripture, including Habakkuk, came from the will of man, from the thought of man. But, they were, but Habakkuk was moved by the Holy Spirit, and he spoke from God. This prophecy originates from the mind of God, from the will of God. Therefore, it is a heavy burden that we should all bear and we should all listen to. <clears throat> the second way it's a burden is because of our own sin. When we hear the word of the Lord, we see that we do not measure up to his commandments. Uh, we were reminded of, of on Tuesday night, we talked about 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction and training in righteousness. We have sin that we must put to death we must be reproved, we must be corrected, and we must be trained in righteousness. And in that way, it's a burden. Psalm 32, verses 3 and through 5, uh, also shows us this burden of sin. He says, The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He, oh, sorry, that's the wrong chapter. Sorry. Psalm 32, verse 3. There we go. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. 
I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. While we are silent about our sin, our body wastes away. We groan. Our conscience torments us. The word of the Lord torments us because of the sin that we are committing, and we must put it to death. And because of that, it is also a burden when we see the sin of others around us. And this is the burden that Habakkuk gives us. To show that, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse, there's many passages we could go to in Psalm 119, but we'll just pick a couple. So Psalm 119 verse 104. Psalm 119, 104. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Verses 126 to 128. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Therefore I love your commandments, above gold, yes, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Verse 136. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. And verse 158. I behold the treacherous and loathe them because they do not keep your word. If we hate our own sin, if we've been made new to hate sin and to love God, then we will also hate the sin that others are committing. We will loathe the treacherous because they do not keep the word of the Lord. Because we are no longer living for ourselves, but we are living for the one who died and rose again on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.15 This is the burden that Habakkuk had. We know from last time that he spoke of faith in Christ in, in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous shall live by faith. This righteousness that Habakkuk had by faith is the same righteousness we must pursue. And if we are pursuing it, we'll desire to live for the glory of God, put sin to death, and hate the sin of others. So let's go to Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4 and see Habakkuk's burden of the sin of the nation around him. Habakkuk 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Habakkuk is seeing the sins of the people around him, and he's being persecuted. He is a righteous man, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He has violence being committed against him. People are throwing the prophets in jail, such as Jeremiah. They are... Um, telling them, speak no longer about the Holy One of Israel. Depart from us. <clears throat> and so Habakkuk calls out, How long, O Lord? How long will I cry for help? And he does not save. He's not hearing him. He says <clears throat> that he wants the Lord to come and save him. So we look at Jeremiah chapter 14. God is supposed to be the God of Israel, the one who is in their midst. He is the judge of all the earth, the judge of Israel. So Habakkuk is asking him, why, why are you not answering, uh, answering my cry for help? Jeremiah 14, verse 8 and 9. Jeremiah says, O hope of Israel, its Savior in time of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land, or like a traveler who has pitched his tent for the night? Why are you like a man dismayed, like a mighty man who cannot save? Yet you are in our midst, O Lord, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. This is the same prayer that Habakkuk has. Is God not the one that is in their midst, the one who has the temple where he said, My name will dwell forever? Yet why does he not save? Why does he not stop the, the sins that are being committed, the violence that are being committed? 
But we know that this is the common experience from the beginning of time until the end of time. Oftentimes, God will leave the righteous under the affliction of the wicked uh, for a time, and it may be for a long time. And the temptation is for everyone to think that God has abandoned us, that God has forsaken us. And we see from Scripture that God knows this, that he gives us uh, many psalms and many ways of understanding this and crying out to help for God, uh, from God. <clears throat> so let's look at some examples of this persecution and righteous men uh, calling out and crying out for help from God. The first example is Elijah, 1 Kings 18. First Kings chapter 18, and we'll read verses 1 through 19. This is in the kingdom of, of the north when Ahab was king. First Kings 18.1 Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave, and provided them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive, and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said, He is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you are saying, Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? And now you are saying, Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, <clears throat> and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of, Ash of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So here we see great persecution of the righteous. Obviously, Ahab was seeking a um, Elijah in every nation and kingdom, and making the nation and kingdom swear that they, they did not know where Elijah was. He was pursuing Elijah with fervor, trying to put him to death, because he hated the righteous prophet so much. And the same with the prophets that Obadiah hid. Jezebel, that, that wicked woman, put to death many prophets who spoke the word of the Lord. But Obadiah, a righteous man, hid them in caves 
and gave them bread and water. <clears throat> this is the, the type of persecution that Habakkuk is seeing as well in the land of Judah, that he is crying out to God for help. Because if the king, the, the highest ruler in the land, is not promoting righteousness and justice, then who else will do it? No one else is higher than the king. So the only one that he can cry out to is the Lord himself. And so we'll see also from many passages in Scripture that the, the cry of Habakkuk is the cry of many people and the same cry that we should have. So we'll see that in the book of Psalms. Let's go to Psalm chapter 13. This is the testimony of the righteous throughout all ages, even Christ himself. Psalm 13, for the choir director, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. So here we see David, another prophet, and he was a king, and he asked God himself, How long will you forget me? We know that David experienced many trials from Saul, from his own son Absalom, from nations around him. He was pursued throughout uh, the land of the Philistines by Saul. And he asked God, How long will you forget forget me? How long will you hide your face? This isn't a, this isn't a question of uh, a faithless question, but knowing that God has not yet saved him, he knows that he must cry out to the Lord to save him. That's what he says at the, the end of the chapter. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even though he hadn't delivered David yet, David still trusted in the loving kindness of the Lord, knowing that God would save him, would deliver him out of all his troubles. Psalm 44. Psalm 44, verse 9. Psalm 44, 9. Yet you have rejected us and brought us to dishonor, and do not go out with our armies. You cause us to turn back from the adversary, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You give us as sheep to be eaten, and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people cheaply, and have not profited by their sale. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and a derision to those around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my dishonor is before me, and my humiliation has overwhelmed me. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, and we have not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, and our steps have not deviated from your way. Yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secret of the heart. But for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Arouse yourself, O Lord. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? 
for our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. So here we see the same um, crying out to the Lord, asking why he has rejected his people. Why has he brought them to dishonor, not giving them blessing, but instead giving them curses, giving them over to their enemies, um, and letting them, being, uh, letting them be punished. But he finishes, If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? Even in the midst of this trial of being put over to punishment, he still, the psalmist still trusts in the Lord. And we know that in verse uh, 22, uh, Paul quotes this in Romans and applies it to, to all Christians throughout all ages. He says, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Those who follow Christ are considered as sheep to be slaughtered among the world. <clears throat> but we remember that they are God's sheep and that he will arise to help and he will redeem his people for the sake of his loving kindness, not for any good deeds of their own, but for his own sake. Uh, Psalm 73. Verses 1 to 14. Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run right. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades throughout through the earth. Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, How does God know? Is there any knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. This is a description of the wicked, and this is exactly what Ahab and the wicked kings of Israel and Judah were like. Their imaginations of their heart ran riot. They, they oppressed. They spoke from on high. They, they set their mouth against God in the heavens. They were very wealthy. Their eyes bulged out from fatness. They had violence. Think of Ahab in, in the, the vineyard of Naboth. He killed Naboth just to get his own uh, piece of land for himself. And they, they put to death the prophets, and there was no justice. Psalm 74, verse 1. It's the same language as we see in Habakkuk uh, 1, verse 2. Psalm 74, 1 says, O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Then also, uh, verses 18 to 23. Remember this, O Lord, that the enemy has reviled, and a foolish people has spurned your name. Do not deliver the soul of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your afflicted forever. Consider the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the inhabitants of violence. Let not the oppressed return dishonored. Let the afflicted and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and plead your own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproaches you all day long. Do not forget the voice of your adversaries, the uproar of those who rise against you, which ascends continually. So here again, the same... The same cry to the Lord. There's um, the cry of, in the in the time of trial and the time of 
time of persecution, there is the crying out to God, asking why he has rejected us, why he has handed us over to these punishments. He is returning to the Lord and asking him to help him. And then Psalm 77. Psalm 77, verses 7 through 10. He says, Will the Lord reject forever, and will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious, or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, It is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Once again, the feeling of, of the righteous is that God has rejected us. That's the temptation to believe that, that God has rejected us and abandoned us in the time of distress. But in each of these psalms, the psalmist is going directly to the Lord and asking him for help, knowing that salvation comes from no one else but from the Lord. And lastly, we'll see this with Christ himself in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2. Christ himself has the same cry for help. When he was being put to death by the hands of godless men, death on a cross, he also cries out to his God to save him, his God and Father. Psalm 22, 1 and 2, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I have no rest. Was not the life of Christ filled with trials and people trying to um, trap him and put him to death? And yet he trusted in the Lord and asked God to deliver him, knowing that he was enduring these trials, enduring these punishments, these um, persecutions for a purpose, for a reason. And so Habakkuk has the same Savior as we do, the same one who endured uh, death on our behalf. And this is who he cried out to. We can know that this is a righteous and a, a question, a righteous cry, a, uh, a cry of faith from Revelation chapter 6, also from Psalm 22, that Christ himself made the same cry. But even for us, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. These are those who have, um, these are the saints who have been made perfect in Mount Zion in heaven, in the temple of the Lord. They are with Christ and with the Father in heaven, and they cry out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is the same desire that Habakkuk had. He wanted to see God's judgment on the wicked and his vengeance for the righteous sake, the vindication of the righteous. This is the burden of Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence that you do not save. There is a time of, of persecution, but we know that eventually there will be vindication for the righteous. Moving on to Habakkuk 1, verse 3. He says, Why do you make me see iniquity? 
and cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. <clears throat> In Habakkuk 1.13, he says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. If this is the case, then why is he making Habakkuk see iniquity? Why do we see the, the sin of the world around us? And it is everywhere, in, in churches and in, in, in politics, and in, in everywhere we go. We see iniquity, we see, in, uh, we see wickedness, we see destruction and violence. It was set before Habakkuk in, in the land of Judah. There was strife and contention, strife between the righteous and the wicked, between the prophets and the kings, between the prophets and the people. There was contention between them. And yet instead of receiving a prophet's reward, they were receiving destruction and violence. So Habakkuk asked God, why are you making me see this iniquity? <clears throat> well, this is also just like the rest of the righteous throughout all, of, all ages. This is like righteous law. 2 Peter 2, 6-9. Lot, when he was in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, he experienced the same... Um, trouble, the same burden on his heart when he saw the wickedness of those around him. <clears throat> Second Peter 2, 6-9. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Righteous Lot. Lot was a righteous man, but he lived amongst men, men who were wicked exceedingly, as we know from, from Genesis. They had sensual conduct. They were unprincipled. And he saw, he saw their unprincipled ways, their their loose living, their, their immoral living. And while he lived among them, he felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Day after day. It never ceased. It was always, his soul was constantly tormented by their, their wicked deeds. And this is the same with Habakkuk, and it should be the same with us. We should be tormented by the wickedness that we see around us. Do we not live in Sodom and Gomorrah, filled with wickedness? And so our righteous, soul, our righteous souls should be tormented day after day by the wickedness that we see. And this is like Paul as well in the New Testament. Acts chapter 17. Paul was also tormented by the sins that he saw around him in the wicked nations around him. This is after the, the coming of Christ and his, uh, his resurrection and ascension. And yet Paul was provoked. Acts 17, verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within, within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So here he's provoked because of their um, idolatry, their lack of love for the Lord. The first, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, they did not love the Lord with all their heart but they committed idolatry. And he was provoked. Athens being a Greek city, there are many gods and many false uh, lords. 
that when we also know that they were they were demons and so he was provoked by these things he was distressed and perturbed by their idolatries their their blasphemies by not worshiping the true god of heaven the one who made heaven and earth and so this should be um, our the case for us as well that we are provoked by the sin that we see around us so the question is why why do we go through this why do we see this inequity why does god let us let us go through this and the first one is endurance. He lets us see the iniquity so that we can endure through these things. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 35-39. He says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of, of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So we see here the author of Hebrews, the apostle, quotes Habakkuk. He quotes Habakkuk chapter 2. And this is the reason why God lets us see iniquity, that we would endure and that we would receive what was promised. We must have endurance. We must um, not be those who shrink back, who shrink back from, from the battle that is facing us. But instead, we must persevere and have the same faith that Habakkuk did so that we could persevere um, and preserve our soul. Because if we shrink back, we will shrink back to destruction the same destruction that Judah is about to experience. But if we persevere, we will have the preserving of our soul. Also, Hebrews chapter 12. Again, this is the same thing uh, that Christ endured as well. But also all of the righteous through all ages. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are... Then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be uh, put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
Christ endured hostility by sinners against himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And yet we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. <clears throat> and so we must regard this endurance for the, for the sake of discipline, for um, achieving and, and obtaining the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is why God lets us see wickedness and lets us endure hostility by sinners so that we would endure and be motivated to, to put the sin in our own lives to death and to be disciplined. Also, James uh, 5, verse 10. James chapter 5. James 5.10, <clears throat> as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We see the endurance of the prophets before us, those who came before us, and we, we think highly of them. We bless them. We know that they are blessed. And so we must endure as well. Job endured many sufferings, and he saw much iniquity. And yet we know that the outcome of the Lord's dealings is full of compassion, and he is merciful. And so we must endure like Job did. The second reason God lets us um, see iniquity is for assurance. So we're still in James, so James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we endure, when we endure trials, we have assurance that we will become perfect and complete. We will become wise. We will lack in nothing. We will lack nothing spiritually because we will have the life of Christ in us. <clears throat> then the, la uh, the next one is cleansing, cleansing from sin, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 67. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. In verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, that and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. When we are afflicted by the sins of the, the wicked, we are much more motivated to keep the word of the Lord. When we are resting easy, it is the temptation is to grow lax and to not uh, persevere and be diligent in our faith. But God has ordained his precepts that we should keep them diligently. Psalm 119 verse 4. And so when we are afflicted, afflicted by the, the wicked, this is good for us because now we can keep, now we keep the word of the Lord. We are motivated to do it. That's why he says in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And this is also for humility. Like Job, Job chapter 42, 
We know the story of Job, that he endured many trials, and that for a time he was questioning God, but in the end he learned humility. And this is another reason for enduring these trials, both from within and from without, from wicked men. Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. So humility is another reason that God lets us endure and see this wickedness around us, knowing that we have sins of our own that we must put to death. And so when we encounter these trials, we are motivated to to cleave to God, and we are humbled, and our arrogance is put down. And that is, of course, a very good thing. And then the last one is the righteous and wicked become obvious. It is good that we can see the difference between the righteous and the wicked for all the reasons that we've just discussed. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 19. First Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So when we see wickedness around us, then we know who the wicked are and who the righteous is who to trust, who not to trust, and we know what we should not do and what we should do in our lives. Also, Matthew 13. Christ himself tells us that this is going to be the case, that the wicked are going to be living together with the righteous. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He presents the parable of the wheat and tares. Matthew 13:24 Jesus presented another parable to them saying The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field but while his men were sleeping his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away but when the wheat sprouted and bore grain then the tares became evident also the slaves of the landowner came and said to him Sir did you not sow good seed in your field how then does it have tares and he said to them an enemy has done this the slaves said to him do you want us then to go and gather them up But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. In verse 36, we have the explanation. Then he, that is Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. God and Christ let the wicked live among us 
so that we can endure and know who the righteous and the wicked are. They are the tares planted by Satan, the, the devil, the evil one, and the wheat, the elect, are planted by the Son of Man. He is the good, uh, the good farmer who planted this good seed, and he lets the, the wicked grow among us so that at the end of the age we will see him remove all stumbling blocks all at once and all workers of lawlessness, and he will throw them into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for them, and we will praise God for his judgment, for his vengeance on the wicked. And then we will receive our reward. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Our reward is not here on this earth, but our reward is in the new heavens and new earth when Christ returns. <clears throat> Habakkuk 1, verse 4. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Injustice is filling the land. We saw that with Elijah and Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel ignored the law. They did not upheld justice, uphold justice. They perverted it. They surrounded the righteous. They tried to put all the prophets of the Lord to death. And this was the same in Habakkuk's day, in Jeremiah's day. Justice was perverted because those who are wicked hate the law of God. They hate righteousness. So they have no desire to uphold the law, but the righteous man loves the law and meditates on God's law day and night. So the examples of, of no love of God, we see that there's no love of God, no love of neighbor, and persecuting the righteous. So examples of no love of God in, in the land of Judah at this time, and this is, of course, in our day as well. Isaiah chapter 1. Yes, Israel was a special nation, but as we saw in Leviticus 18, the nations that were before them were also spewed out of the land because of their wickedness. And so God will do the same to nations today as well. Isaiah 1, verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom, we would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. 
Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. <clears throat> this is Isaiah's prophecy of the nation of, of Israel, of Judah, that they would that they have and they would reject and rebel against the Holy One of Israel and turn away from him. Though they pray and they offer many sacrifices, God hates them because of their wickedness, the blood that is on their hands. 2 Kings 21, 1-18, we see again the, the no, love, no love of God and no love of neighbor. 2 Kings chapter 21. After the death of Hezekiah, his son Manasseh took his place, and it ended up that Manasseh, God gave a prophecy to Hezekiah that Judah would be destroyed by the Chaldeans, and it ended up being that Manasseh, his son, was the reason for it. You see the, the many, many wickedness, uh, many, many wicked deeds that Manasseh performed. No love of God and no love of neighbor. 2 Kings 21, 1 through 18. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft, and used divination, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he set the carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to his son Solomon, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, if only they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh seduced them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Manasseh was very wicked. He built altars to false gods in the house of the Lord in the temple. He put his own son, he murdered his own son through the fire and offered him to Molech. He practiced witchcraft and divination instead of seeking the Lord. He dealt with mediums and spiritists, just like Saul did. He did the same sins as Ahab and reversed the righteous decrees that Hezekiah had done. These are the, the, the perversions of justice that Habakkuk was seeing. And lastly, we'll see the... Um, the persecution of Jeremiah, which is again at the same time as Habakkuk in Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20, verse 1. When Pashur, the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, Pashur had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks that were at the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. On the next day, when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, Pashur is not the name the Lord has called, called you, but rather Magor Misabib. For thus the Lord, 
For thus says the Lord, Behold, I am going to make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. And while your eyes look on, they will fall by the sword of their enemies. So I will give over all Judah to the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will carry them away as exiles to Babylon and will slay them with the sword. I will also give over all the wealth of the city, all its produce and all its costly things, even all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give over to the hand of their enemies, and they will plunder them, take them away and bring them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who live in your house will go into captivity, and you will enter Babylon, and there you will die, and there you will be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have falsely prophesied. The rest of the chapter of Jeremiah 20 shows the, the complaint that Jeremiah had and all of the evil things he endured. But here we see the righteous prophet was put in stocks. He was beaten, even though he was the one speaking righteousness. And Pashur was a false prophet. He was prophesying falsely in the name of the Lord, taking the name of the Lord in vain. He was perverting justice, just like Habakkuk says. He ignored the law. He did not uphold justice. And he, the wicked man, terror on every side, surrounded Jeremiah, the righteous man. So in conclusion, we know and see that we must have the same hatred of sin that Habakkuk has, and that we must also cry out to the Lord, for there is no, there's salvation in no one else, but only in the Lord. If we hate sin in our own lives, we will hate the sin that we see around us, knowing that the law is ignored, justice is not upheld in our land, we have injustice in the name of social justice, and many other wicked things in our land. So I'll finish with Psalm 73. 15 to the end. Psalm 73, verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was a troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen.